the great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control them? I believe they are. My opponents do not. to globalism is nationalism. This is The Right Take. How's it going, everybody? Welcome, welcome, one and all. This is, in fact, episode number 97 here on The Right Take. The road to 100 just got a little bit shorter, guys. We're almost there. I'm Eric Lendrum, and I'm not here with my co-host, Jacob Grandstaff. He is in the trenches one again. once again, folks. He is a loyal, noble warrior. He's off this week. He'll be back next week. And who else could we turn to? Of course, once again, this is not going to be a solo episode. Uh, there's only been a, a couple of those featuring just me. We usually do find someone to fill in that gap. And in this case, we turn to, once again, our most frequent guest. He's in the title. You guys already know who he is. To talk about something very important, something obviously huge, historical, earth-shattering, I think, that happened that developed a couple weeks ago that we have not yet addressed on the, not yet addressed on this show. But 
when we have to address stuff like this, both the macro and the micro, the specific details and the bigger picture, we turn to the one and the only, the founder of Valiant News, Tom Pappert. Tom, welcome back to The Right Take, my man. Thanks so much for having me back, Eric. It's always a pleasure, and I only wish it was under better circumstances. Oh, I wish so as well, my man. It is, it, it's it's a tough time, you know? I mean, when this first happened, when I first saw the news break, it was a Thursday. It was right as work was ending for most people. It was about 5 p.m. Eastern time, and when I saw the first few alerts on Twitter, the New York Times did have it first, naturally, that the New York Grand Jury had voted to indict former President Donald J. Trump. And I'm just like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. There's there's no way they did it. They actually did it. So I actually wrote an article for American Greatness a few days after the announcement of the indictment, before the actual arraignment happened. I wrote an article. I'll include a link in the description below, simply titled The Final Fight Begins Now. And I think it's a pretty self-explanatory title. I basically argue that this is this is it, guys. This really is the beginning of the final battle for not just our country, but our civilization. It's unprecedented that a first world nation or a formerly first world nation like the United States would now resort to the tactics you'd see in Latin America, that political opposition leaders are just being jailed, being or being threatened with jail time, in this case, being charged with bogus fake charges, politically motivated charges by a Soros funded DA like Alvin Bragg. And especially as this said former president is running again and is the clear front runner and very likely will be the next Republican nominee for president of the United States. And for all we know, could fingers crossed, God willing, could be a future president. So we truly are in uncharted territory. This is, to put it very simply, this is a Rubicon moment. Our country has crossed the Rubicon. That is just my opinion. But Tom, please, by all means, give our viewers, our listeners, your take what does this mean first for the bro the broadest sense? Let's start with the absolute biggest picture and work our way down. Is it over? Is this basically the beginning of the end of you know, America first America's first world status as we knew it? Well, I think you nailed a lot of it there as far as what's happening internally. But I would just add that in a lot of ways, this does remove a lot of national prestige for the United States. We were always the country that you could count on to be Democrat, at least on the surface. I mean, if you talk to people like uh, Ron Paul, he <laughs> says that we haven't we had a coup in 1961 or whatever it was, and the country hasn't been the same since then. But if you look at the national prestige, you could always count the United States is going to have an election. Maybe there will be a week or two of drama about hanging chads, and that's the end of it. Well, now that's not the end of it. They stole the election in 2020. Yes. They've been bitter about it ever since. They've known that they're an illegitimate government. And now what do we see but them seeking to arrest and actually arresting their major political opponents? So in the past, the United States has always kind of had this position of strength to argue from when it comes to democracy, which is now just a registered trademark of the Democratic Party. But we used to have this this city on the hill concept going on. Now, I've obviously seen Russia make fun of the United States over <laughs> this. I've also seen Mexico make fun of the United States over this. That little gremlin AMLO down there, who as far <laughs> as I can tell, he's probably just a tool of the cartels. Even he is mocking the Democrats in the United States for locking up their political opponents. So I think that is the big thing that is being understated here. The Democrats, as we saw with Obama and really going back a long time, even to 
Clinton. They are very, very good at their domestic chaos agenda. Where they struggle is foreign policy. They have no idea what they're doing. And so we've seen in two years the entire unipolar world order that I think actually benefited America and was a good thing for us has been destroyed because of one, everybody knows Joe Biden is incompetent. Two, everybody knows he's not really there and he's being controlled by incompetent people. And three, everybody knows he's too fixated on destroying whatever was left of American national unity to ever be a threat on the world stage. So that's the real takeaway here. I think Taiwan is going to be taken. I think that we're going to see a whole shift towards the east, toward Moscow and towards Beijing. And it's basically because they can't leave Trump alone. That's where we're at. Exactly. Yeah. All they can think about their entire agenda for the last seven years now or eight years now, he first announced in 2015, their whole agenda has always been just get Trump. We're anti-Trump. We're never Trump. We've just got to destroy Donald Trump. Everything else is secondary. Some have even argued that realistically at this point, their opposition to Vladimir Putin is not even really an opposition to him as an authoritarian, a dictator, what, warmonger, whatever. It's because they see Putin as a stand-in for Trump now that Trump's not in office anymore. Of course, the whole Russia collusion hoax, which all started in the campaign in 2015, then candidate Trump said, because obviously tensions were rising with Putin at that point, He's, uh, Crimea had been taken. He said, you know, I, I don't want to go to war. I, I'd like to talk to Vladimir Putin. Can't we just talk to him? And the media went nuts with, how dare he suggest we talk to Vladimir Putin? He must be a Russian asset. And that's how it all started, because he suggested diplomacy. And it is, you pointed out the foreign policy, Tom. It's so true that t Joe Biden might actually be the, I think easily is the a worse foreign policy president than Carter, if we're being honest. Probably even worse than LBJ, who got us into the quagmire that was Vietnam. You have, yeah, within just a couple of years, of course, Afghanistan, the longest war in our history, ends in an objective, complete and total failure that destroys national morale and destroys our standing on the international stage. Our longest war ever, and we lost it in the span of like a month. It took a month for them to retake the whole country. Then you have Ukraine. His weakness leads to the first land war in Europe since 1945. Good job. Good job, <laughs> Joe. And now, yes, as you pointed out, over Easter weekend, no less, China has now encircled the island nation of Taiwan with warships and aircraft under the guise of military exercises, which is the exact same excuse that Putin used as he was amassing troops on Ukraine's border before he pulled the trigger on that war. So, yeah, I think that is... Technically, I guess that's how a world war starts right there is you have multiple wars on multiple fronts. And do we ignore Taiwan as well? Do we maybe give some aid to Taiwan and nothing else? Because Taiwan obviously is huge with the their manufacturing of chips, semiconductors and other crucial electronics that we need in our infrastructure, you know, making cars and whatnot. The effects on our supply chain, the supply chain crisis as a result of that would make the last supply chain crisis look like a 15 minute wait at a grocery store. It would be just catastrophic. And all this under one guy. In three years, and you compare that to where we were with Trump as president, a lot of people didn't think he'd be great on foreign policy. They thought maybe his, uh, obviously, his area of expertise would be the economy as a businessman. But no, he used those businessman skills, those negotiating skills to be the best foreign policy president, probably since FDR, if I'm being honest, since Eisenhower. He negotiated the peace deals between Israel and several Arab states. You know, I think he negotiated in one year, he negotiated, I think, three or four peace deals, the Abraham Accords, which was twice as many as have been negotiated in the last 40 years. Only two had been done uh, before that. And uh, yeah, he met with Kim Jong-un, first U.S. president ever to do that, first U.S. president to set foot on North Korean soil. 
we were fine with Russia, as he points out, of the last four presidents, Trump is the only one that, on his watch, Russia didn't invade any other country. They invaded Georgia under Bush, not the state Georgia, they, of course, the country Georgia. Then they invaded Crimea under Obama, and now they invaded the whole of Ukraine under Biden. It, it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing, really, to think about how drastically, how black and white, how day and night it is. And yet, the sad thing, Tom, I think I will kind of push back a bit, as devastating as the foreign policy failures are, I don't think Americans care that much. I mean, by the time the midterms around, obviously, Americans didn't care as much about uh, Afghanistan, and I don't think they even really cared about Ukraine. I don't think foreign policy was a defining issue for American voters, and it really won't be unless until, there's a, it, until oh. things get too bad. Well, it all goes back to their domestic chaos agenda. That's mm -hmm. what they are just extraordinarily gifted at. It seems to be a weird dichotomy where the Democrats will destroy America. They're destroying our national prestige. They're destroying us on the world stage. You have Saudi Arabia and Iran making friends now. They're going to start trading in local currencies rather than the U.S. dollar. I mean, it's, it's oh. end time stuff we're talking about. But the Democrats... And I am the most pro-life person you'll meet, but the Democrats are being gifted by things like Ron DeSantis passing a six-week abortion ban down in Texas. They're being gifted by the Supreme Court now trying to ban the abortion pill. It's like they know what they have to do to win, and it's just being given to them on a silver platter. And that's what we saw with the midterms, of course. They capitalized just viciously and soullessly on the abortion issue, and the entire midterm election turned into a referendum on abortion. Meanwhile, you have uh, establishment politicians like Lady Lindsey Graham out in South Carolina <laughs> saying that he's going to pass a federal legislation to ban abortion. You know, for, for what, 50 years, the Republicans were all about, let's just return it to the state's level. States' rights, states' rights. And the second it gets in, the second we get it done, what happens? But they say, no, now we need to go further. So, so yes, the Democrats are very, very good at their domestic chaos agenda. And you can go back to Bill Clinton, who was bombing Central European countries countries that Americans couldn't point out. I couldn't point out on a map. I'm good at geography. And, and what, but nobody really notices because what's happening at home. He's uh, getting fellatio in the white house. He, there's a little blue dress. There's some, there's Waco, there's Ruby Ridge. There's one thing after another, one bobble after the other to distract Americans. I think this is what they learned from Obama. We saw the same thing uh, at home. He had swagger. He was cool. I, I literally remember tuning into the today show. I must've been like 13 years old and seeing them describe that it was so great to once again have an, have a president with swagger. The very next week, he starts his worldwide apology tour where he's like bowing a little bit lower. So the Democrats are very bad at foreign policy, very good at uh, domestic policy insofar as dividing us and conquering us. But the question is, how can this end? And bringing it all back to Trump, at what point do our foreign allies say it's not worth gambling on these psychopaths anymore? It's no longer a steady ship in the ocean that's going to be a reliable ally. I'm going to throw in with the commies. And we just got to hope because I think Russia is maybe 10% less evil than, than China that they throw in with Russia, not mm. the Chinese. Yeah, no, China's definitely the greater existential threat in every way possible. I mean, certainly they, they have a stranglehold on our, on our economy. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a double-edged sword, mutually assured destruction economically. We need them for all the cheap plastic crap they make, cheaper than, you know, to produce here in the United States. 
and they need us because we keep buying the cheap plastic crap. So it's it, the possibility of a proxy war with them, or I, I guess it'd be a direct war if it was Taiwan. They're really, that's not a proxy war at that point. I mean, that uh, the thought of that is absolutely terrifying. And yeah, that's how world wars start because there's also talk of you know, a possible, you know, not full-blown alliance, but a kind of detente agreement between uh, China and Russia that they have mutual interest right now in that they're both against the United States and they have their respective wars going on on, on their respective borders. So it's all terrifying to think about. And yes, it, that's what it all comes down to is America's strength on the national and the international stage is seriously weakened by this clown show, this banana republic crap going on right here that former presidents and future candidates, possible future presidents, are being arrested and jailed. Over what? Over charges that are bogus that even Alvin Bragg's predecessor, Cyrus Vance Jr., did not want to pursue. Even he Misleading said... Misleading business records. Mis mis <laughs> yeah, uh, in properly filed business. So no, they're not even really felonies. Even an NBC legal analyst explained all Bragg did here was take a misdemeanor, add it to a misdemeanor, and create a felony. You know, this very weird legal math that technically, that's not that's not possible. That's not how it works. Two felonies. Well, and I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that the statute of limitations is over, so they're using mm -hmm. a legal loophole that is made for people who abscond to Costa Rica or Belize, or like they run away, they 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 take, uh, they, they go work for uh, uh, NATO or something like that. They, they become a mercenary in Ukraine, so they fall off the face of the earth. That's what this is meant for. for not a guy who moved to Florida like it's it's comical what they're doing here but yet nobody seems to stop it it's in new york i mean if we're being honest i don't think trump has much of a shot at trial i think maybe at appeal but i think we could absolutely see trump uh be the gavel comes down and the jury says guilty because this is a manhattan jury the place votes like 98 percent democrat so this is uncharted times for our country. And I try to think, how is it going to impact the average man? And I, I think at this point, what you're seeing in the foreign policy department is how it's going to impact the average man. Your gas is going to be more expensive because mm -hmm. nobody respects America. Your food's going to continue to rise because nobody respects America. And eventually, your computers are going to become impossible to replace because China's just going to roll over Taiwan. And unless Lindsey Graham puts on a helmet and gets into battle, <laughs> nobody's going to be there to stop it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he, he can uh, he can go glitter bomb, you know, the, the Chinese forces. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I have to dunk on Lindsey Graham. You know, in the last episode, Jacob and I briefly talked about the fact that, like, arguably no state in the country produces a higher qual quantity of low-quality rhino anti-Trump Republicans than the state of South Carolina. They, they are real winners over there between Lindsey Graham and no. Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Nancy Mace, Mark Sanford. They're, they're real winners down in South Carolina. I think a, a couple of years ago, I was at a bar at CPAC, and I don't really do the CPAC thing anymore, but there was a South Carolina political guy, and he was like a, oh a consultant who worked for a young guy, like maybe not even 30. And, uh, <laughs> and I just look at him and I go, what is it with your state? Every <laughs> single election elected Republican is a gay establishment goober. How do you keep doing this? And this is like a big, tough redneck guy. And he goes, yeah, but they win, don't they? <laughs> Any Republican could win. It's South Carolina, for God's sakes. Like, they still go for Trump in every election. I mean, it's it's a red state. You know, it's it's all about... This is something interesting that I think uh, one of our previous guests, Josh Heckathorn, brought up when we were talking about the Utah Senate race, where before the midterms, it looked like Evan McMuffin could actually have a chance of beating Mike Lee, which thank God he didn't. But he said, when you have a deep red state like a Utah, or in this case, a South Carolina, 
They'll elect any Republican. So yeah, the problem you is that you should put up your Paul Gozar. You should put up your hard right wing guy. Yes, yes. Because, of course, the complacency with, oh, it's going to be Republican no matter what, leads to losers like Spencer Cox getting elected as governor of uh, Utah. Fitting last name, by the way. Uh, or people like Nikki Haley. Uh, Tim's, Tim Scott wasn't even elected, by the way. Did you, did you know, uh, Tom? He, he wasn't elected. He was appointed to that Senate seat by Nikki Haley to replace <laughs> Jim DeMint after he left to go work for the, to run the Heritage Foundation. So Tim Scott never even got elected. It's just I was reading an anecdote from him. I don't is this true that he walked into his local Democratic Party office headquarters and he goes, I think I want to do politics. And they go, sorry, Tim, there's already like six black guys lined up. We're like the party of black people. You might have better luck on the other side. So then he goes across the street to his Republican Party headquarters and he goes, I want to be in politics. And they go, well, I don't think you win, but we'd love to have you. Oh. So he's, he's literally the guy looks he has the iq of somebody who could maybe manage a mcdonald's and and he's parlayed his race and the republican party into this position of prominence where there's like uh, neocons right now saying that he could be the next uh, uh senate leader it's comical I, bravo bravo the guy knows how to play the race card Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is, as we talked about, again, last episode, Jacob and I dunked on some boomers in the comment section on uh, Breitbart's Facebook page saying, oh, we love Tim Scott. He's so great. And I, using the right take uh, Facebook page, asked them, which is a very simple question, one of, one of the top liked comments I asked, all right, can you name one specific reason you like Tim Scott? And the guy just sputtered and lost his mind. He, he said, uh, uh, have you read his bio? Clearly not. Do, <laughs> do your own research. To which I said, Google it is not an answer. Can you give me a specific reason? The guy then again says, uh, compare him to drooling Joe Biden. And I said, okay, any Republican is better than Biden. Give me a reason you like Tim Scott. And he rage quit. Then another yeah, there boomer. Was a, oh. There was a serial killer here in Wichita, Bind, Torture, Kill, who, BTK. He yes. Was once, uh, mm -hmm. He was once elected to be the dog catcher of, uh, of Park City, which is just north of where I am. He would get more votes than Joe Biden at this point, okay? Anybody would get more votes than Joe Biden. Anybody is better than Joe Biden. It's not a reason to say, okay, yeah, Tim Scott for president, you stupid boomer. It's <laughs> It's so bad. It really is so bad. Again, Obama almost lost. Oh, I'm he sorry. I said Biden. I meant to. Say, I do that all the time. Biden. You wouldn't get more votes than Biden. I ruined my joke. No, 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 no. Because I that actually is segues perfectly to what I was gonna say. Because I I looked this back up. Because one thing that needs to be dispelled here. This is misinformation that the left is trying to put out there. And rhinos too. To pro DeSantis people. We'll get to DeSantis in a bit. Don't you guys worry. Um. They're trying to say, oh, if Trump is convicted, because there, there are felonies here, oh, if he's convicted of a felony, he can't run for president again. That's incorrect. That is not true. The Only three things can disqualify someone from running for president of the United States. The birth requirement, if you were not born as a natural U.S. citizen on American soil. Uh, two, if you're below the age of 35. And three, if you're impeached and convicted in Congress. And obviously, they tried to do that to Trump twice, and they failed both times. Obviously, he qualifies the uh, birth uh, citizen requirement and of course he's over the age of 35 so yeah no he, not even a felony conviction can't stop him from running for president and that's because i looked this up i had to, i remembered faintly in 2012 when obama of course was guaranteed the democrat nomination because he was running for re-election there were protest votes in several of the southern states and one of them was west virginia where a convicted felon named keith russell judd ran <laughs> for the democratic nomination against uh obama and again, as a convicted felon, he ran he ran in several primaries, but the biggest one, of course, was his home state of West Virginia. From prison, from in his cell, he got 41% of the vote. 
<laughs> like, yeah. among these are among Democrat voters. So I mean, yeah, a, a literal felon would be more popular than Obama, and yes, more popular than Biden. But that, of course, got to dispel there. Like, there is, and Jacob and I talked about this in previous episodes. I think it absolutely is possible Trump can still win this nomination from within the courtroom, from even behind the legal proceedings. Because uh, obviously, yeah, I agree with you. Unfortunately, that. This this whole this whole thing is rigged against him. It's a kangaroo court. It's the same court that the same way that Michael Sussman was acquitted by a D.C. jury, even though he literally admitted to being guilty of lying to the FBI. He confessed and they acquitted him because people on the jury know him. Oh, one woman on the jury. Her daughter was on the same sports team as Sussman's daughter. It's this reverse in New York. We know the judge, Juan Merchan, donated to Biden and progressive causes. We know his daughter, Loren Merchan. They really don't like you saying her name because they say that's doxing his family. But you know what? Screw it. The family, the family's fair game because these people are evil. His daughter, Lauren Merchan, worked for Kamala Harris. The, it's, well, let's say let's make sure we point out that it's not like she's this isn't some eight year old little child. No, this is no. a fully grown adult who mm -hmm. worked for the vice president of the United States of America. Yes. This, this is the new standard. If you post an article with a, a photo of this woman, you will be dogpiled by the entire left for po publishing photos of a judge's daughter. That's how insane of a world we're getting into here. But I do think you're right. I do think Trump could absolutely win. It's it's certainly having that effect so far. I mean, mm -hmm. I you never, I, I you can't trust any polls, especially this far out, but you go to you UFC and you see him sitting there with uh, with with Mike Tyson and Dana White and he's got like major football players coming up to him and saying I'm so happy to meet you Mr. President and he's got a uh, Jorge Masvidal in the ring saying how how he owes it all to Trump uh, you see you're seeing kind of this groundswell of normal support and I think you're even starting to see it in normal non-political quarters of society where people are kind of flirting with Trump and maybe maybe out maybe my Followers will like it if I'm a little bit nice to Trump. Maybe I should kind of flirt with this guy a little bit. Uh, so I do think it's entirely possible. We're just in such uncharted territory. That, Nobody that, can tell you what happens to a presidential candidate who is found guilty of a felony because it's never happened before. I'm sure he'll stay out pending appeal. And at some point, the thing is going to get thrown out at some point dead down the line somewhere. I think the best case scenario is to do what they're doing and uh, do everything you can to get the case thrown out uh, before jury selection. But – I, I think it's entirely possible Trump could win. I find it fascinating that this is what they're using against him. And even more fascinating, we know that the Ron DeSantis camp thought the indictment would be a kill shot. Yep. And this is and I'm by camp, I don't necessarily even mean the governor himself, but his donors, the Carl Rove types, the people who are running the shadow campaign for Ron DeSantis, they mm -hmm. all thought it was going to totally remove Trump. And instead, we've seen DeSantis drop below 20 in some state level polls, and Trump is getting up to like 60. So it's not going the way they thought it would at all. Uh, and if the pattern holds, maybe this is going to be what gets him reelected. That would be hilarious. I think I, that would be. I mean, Elon Musk predicted on Twitter that if Trump got arrested, then he would win 2024 in a landslide. Musk said that. And we know he endorsed DeSantis. Musk is not necessarily a huge fan of Trump. But yeah, he, he I think Musk represents that coalition. Uh, Rogan, Joe Rogan's another one. He said on his podcast a while ago that if it does come to a rematch between Trump and Biden, he'd vote for Trump before he'd vote for Biden at this point. So guys like those represent this kind of 
apolitical coalition, these centrist voters, independent voters who don't really care that much for politics, but they see what's going on because you can't avoid the news at this point with Trump dominating the news as he does. And they see a guy being persecuted who is running for president, being arrested and jailed that this has never happened before. As you said, this is uncharted territory. This is something that Latin American countries do. You know, this is what Brazil did, that a corrupt court there had to overturn the criminal convictions of the disgraced former president who was convicted of corruption, money laundering, embezzlement, all kinds of crimes. They overturned his conviction just so he could run against Bolsonaro and steal the election from him last year. And that's the stuff that guy that- actually did time in jail too, by the way. This isn't like a, it's not even a one to one. He was actually behind bars and and like sending jailhouse letters to his supporters. This it was hilarious stuff. Uh, and that's that's absolutely where we're headed. Um, I I do sort of find it a little bit interesting, I guess, that this all seems to be catching them off guard, that they don't seem to understand. And I guess maybe it's the same thing that happened in Brazil, because uh, De Silva is now more popular than he has ever been Lula. And uh, maybe when you arrest somebody, you do get people on their side. Maybe at this point, we've created a society so obsessed with mobsters and so convinced (laughs) that the government is the bad guy, that this is the number one... It definitely proves Trump isn't deep state. You don't arraign the deep state and put them behind bars and try to ruin their life. It's once again, they've made a former president the outsider candidate. And it is I don't know how they did it. Yeah, against all odds. He's a former president. He's won before. All right. Even in 2020, when he was running for reelection, he could still argue for himself as the outsider, despite it was less convincing because he was with Fauci and he was the COVID. Mm -hmm. But now now, oh, goodness, he's he's running with a pair of handcuffs on him. I mean, he's a thug. (laughs) He's an OG. It's it's, it's him and him. He really is like literally the day after the uh, arraignment in New York, uh, the Trump uh, Trump's pack had of course they have their online store of campaign merchandise they created a t-shirt and they've been selling it featuring his presidential portrait the one where he looks all super serious in black and white and below it it says not guilty so it's like (laughs) the mugshot like i bet you they wish trump they probably wish that they forced trump to do a mugshot like that i wanted a mugshot uh, that would have been (laughs) okay i gotta ask you your opinion then tom super serious questions these are the important questions here folks on the right take if trump were to have to do a mugshot would you want him to be smiling, serious face, maybe a slight grin or something else in between? What facial expression would you want from Trump in no, a mugshot? You, you can't smile. You got to you got to look super stoic and like borderline angry or else the judge will get mad at you. So, so I <laughs> oh. no, I would want him to be, I, you, you you've seen the, the viewers at home can google this or the listeners. Look up Johnny Cash's mugshot. That's what I would want. The same type of ethos. Just I'd want him to be holding up that stupid thing that they haven't made you hold since like 1982. The oh. white that looks like a, a Hollywood thing. I'd want them to be holding that with like prisoner 98745 on it. And uh, I just want him to have this like gaze of disgust and contempt. That's what I would want. Johnny Cash, but with uh, orange hair. I'm looking at him. <laughs> and he has like a, a little bandaid over his right eyebrow. Like, oh, goodness gracious. Um, I, yeah, I get what you're saying for the a legal standpoint, you don't want to piss off the judge. Again, we know this judge is full of it anyway. This judge is. Well, you not can't gonna... smile. You got to look like an OG. You I gotta would look, say you got to look stoic. I would have disagreed slightly. I think maybe not a full blown smile like his, you know, second official presidential portrait, but maybe a very slight grin, almost like a smirk, kind of like that smirk he does. You know, whenever he was at those debates, the primary debates, and someone like Jeb would say something stupid, and Trump would do the little eyebrow raise and the head tilt and the slight little like 
smirk like something a little you know s you know sly Maybe. like that but you then know? trump isn't taking this seriously i don't know uh, i i, I, no, I would have laughed at it i, I get where you're the coming the thing from. is though any mugshot that could have happened even if he was like laughing and flipping off the camera i would have loved it <laughs> oh yeah no that would have been the most iconic mugshot of all time and you know he would own it that's how this man works he absorbs these attacks and he turns them around and uses them as weapons it, it's uh, cliches well, it so is you never know if it's true. I mean, I, I want to believe it, though, that Sharp put this file, this under news that I that I pray it's true. There were <laughs> there's supposedly 100 cops on that day who were going to have to just be standing outside the courthouse or standing in a hallway or whatever, called in sick, refused to work. And then, according to Trump, uh, there were multiple of the police officers that were there just, you know, walking him down the hallway and processing him like he's a, you know, a, a thug. Multiple of them had like tears in their eyes. They're apologizing. One of them supposedly mouthed 2024. So you do have to think that uh, even in the liberal hellhole of New York, this is not having the intended effect. And it's making the police go, man, I wish I could do this to a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. That's the thing. They can't seem to understand that the harder you attack him, the more popular this makes him. To quote a line from Star Wars, as cheesy as it is, if you strike him down, he'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. It just, nothing works. This man is unlike anything or anyone we have ever seen in American politics, ever in American history. Forget Reagan, forget anybody else. This guy is a whole nother level from all those people, and that's what makes him so amazing. And, and yeah, I, I do think, because they set, I believe they set the next court date for December. I don't remember the exact date, but December. So he's out of court from now all the way to December. So he'll be able to do the, the primary debates. The first one's in August, I believe, streaming exclusively on Rumble, by the way. That's a sweet deal, Rumble secured there. Um, So he'll be doing the debates. He'll be on stage with... Oh, uh, let's see. Let, let's, let's talk 2024. We've got to address this. So we've got, of course... Uh, we've got Nikki Haley, who's running. This is this is confirmed that the candidates who are in there. We've got Vivek Ramaswamy, who Jacob and I actually like for the most part. Uh, I think we both agreed he's the second best candidate running. And we've got Asa Hutchinson, who's running as a full-blown never-Trumper. Tim Scott has formed an exploratory committee. Uh, Chris Christie has an important announcement coming up soon, which probably means he's going to run. Uh, fake news, by the way, guys, uh, the other day there were reports circulating that DeSantis had officially filed an FEC Federal Elections Commission filing to run for president. Uh, that was not real. That was a fake one, just like the ones that initially people thought Mike Pence had filed to run, but those aren't real either. So you'll get like these prankster filings to make people think someone runs. So, uh, we know John Bolton said he's going to run. So that, that'll be interesting to see the walrus on stage with, uh, with president Trump, a few others. I mean, like Larry Elder may run, uh, Mike Pence may still run. I don't know. Um, but I, I do look forward to that. But the point being, they put him back in court in December, right before the Iowa caucus, which is, I believe, January. I, th I think it's late January, maybe. So they're, they're obviously that's on purpose to try to screw well, his ability to campaign right before the primary start. What do you say, Tom? You have to also admire the beauty of it because... Uh, a lawyer can delay that. I mean, I, I don't know how it works all for, you know, I can't tell you how they have to file, but I can tell you from personal experience that you can delay these things for mm -hmm. quite some time. Um, and, and it's totally legal. You need more time to get evidence. You need more time to do this. You need more time to do that. His travel schedule, his medical schedule, whatever. But that doesn't necessarily benefit Trump because right now this probably has a uh, trial date of October of, 2024.
So anything you do could just push this to be like, well, Trump's going to be in court on election day. Uh, anything he does to try to change the schedule on this is going to hurt him. So now I do just want to note one thing. You, of course, didn't mention the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, who, like you said, there is some fake news. I'm pretty convinced he's going to run for president. I really? think it would be I, I don't see how he doesn't do it at this point it, now. The only reason why he might not do it is if DeSantis is still his own man and he's not just listening to the consultants and he's not just listening to the to the people who he pays. Because if he's smart, he delays until 2028 and yes. there's probably an 80 percent chance he'll be the Republican nominee. Mm -hmm. Everybody will forget that he has these Bush connections and maybe he can even be a halfway decent president uh, to succeed Trump. But if he does it now, he's doomed. But I've seen this just burning loathing and hatred from the uh, Florida influencer industrial complex mm. you see on Twitter, oh my where God. they they hate a guy named Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, I barely knew who Vivek was before he started bombarding me with Twitter ads. He's <laughs> the guy who came up with a new hedge fund that is the anti-ESG hedge fund. He is going to go and take advantage of every politically incorrect opportunity. And so far, I mean, I'm, I'm not accusing him of doing anything wrong, but he's making like Bernie Madoff level returns for his, <laughs> for his investors. So he's doing a great job. He seems to know what he's doing. But... He is he's running Trump's campaign. He's running a populist campaign. All his mm -hmm. messaging is on point. I love it. And the Ron DeSantis people hate his guts. Yes. And I'm convinced they hate his guts because he's running Ron DeSantis's campaign better than Ron DeSantis. Exactly. He is. You look at these people. And again, I've talked about this with Jacob, is that you got Trump who's running, of course. And every single Trump voter is going to vote for Trump first. They're, they, everyone who wants to vote for Trump first is going to vote for Trump. And there's, I think there's nobody, there's not a single Trump voter. When you get to the primaries, I'm not talking about influencers. I mean, the voters in the primaries and caucuses, there's not one person who is going to say, oh, I really wanted to vote for Trump, but now I'm going to vote for Nikki Haley. Like no one is saying that everyone who's made up their minds to vote for Trump is going to vote for Trump. The everyone else is kind of split. Yes, most of the anti-Trumpers want DeSantis, but there's, I'm sure, plenty who would like Nikki Haley because she's well, a woman. And there is, I hate to say it, but there is, and, and it's irresponsible that us Trump people don't acknowledge this, but there is a segment of the Republican Party that has bought the Kool-Aid, has drank the Kool-Aid, where they say, I'm so sick of his tweets. Why does he have to do crazy stuff? Do we really need to have another four years obsessed with this man? And, you know, they're watching a lot of Fox News, those people, is my guess. Uh, those people are out there, and that is the vote that DeSantis and Ramaswamy are courting Mm -hmm. But it's turning out to be like 20% in battleground states. It's it's not enough to win, I'm afraid, Ramaswamy. Well, I even like him. It's not enough to yeah. to win, Ron. Ex exactly, yeah, because Vivek, he's one of those guys. You can tell, like someone like Asa Hutchinson. And again, if Chris Christie runs, if Liz Cheney runs, please let Liz Cheney run. But the, the hardcore never-Trumpers, they're the ones who ultimately will stick around for like the first couple primaries, Iowa, New Hampshire. Then they'll drop out. Vivek is the kind of candidate who is clearly in this for the long haul, like Ron Paul. He is not going anywhere until those primaries are done. So he, and the longer he stays in, th th there's not going to be, you could very well see some Republicans like hey, Hutchinson, maybe even Nikki Haley, drop out at command, you know, because, okay, it's time to consolidate behind DeSantis. Ron Swamy's going to say, no, I'm in this for myself. I'm not going to drop out because Ron's handlers tell me to. And he, yeah, he's going to take away votes from That's DeSantis. A great point.
Exactly. I never considered that, that he's going to stay in the race longer. No wonder they hate him so much. <laughs> exactly. And he's running DeSantis's race better than DeSantis. DeSantis is, yeah. for all of his Trump impersonation, all of his voice skills, he's still just kind of kind of wet. You know, he, <laughs> I look at him and I feel like if I shook his hand, it would be wet. And you just can't escape that. He's very whiny. He's very sanctimonious has turned out yes. to be the most apt name for not just DeSantis, but his entire contingent of holier than thou influencers. Like you have Jenna Ellis, a woman who I oh, once respected same. threatening to sue people on Twitter because they posted a meme uh, where she's Stormy Daniels <laughs> and it says digging for gold. Yeah. I mean, this is where we're at from the, the sort of establishment fights back. You're also seeing this bizarre dynamic where people like Jenna Ellis, who she's been on the outside. She's yeah. never been part of the club. But now she and many others like her, I believe, have an opportunity, they think, to join the Republican elite, to join the establishment. And they can even keep saying some of the issues that they care about so much. They can even still keep like interviewing dissident voices on their poorly listened to radio shows. But all they have to do is make sure DeSantis gets in because we just got to get rid of that Trump bastard, man. It's too much. It, it really is. And again, it begs the question that, of course, like the Daily Beast did the first genuine hit piece on DeSantis, I think, because, of course, the media of the left has been willing to go along with him. You know, again, MSNBC, CNN were openly praising DeSantis. Joe Scarborough was praising him. CNN commentators are praising him all because they want him to, to topple Trump. Daily Beast kind of broke that mold with the first hit piece on DeSantis talking about, and let's just get into this, Tom, if you want, the DeSantis, the network of far-right influencers, according to their words, that DeSantis's people, you know, Christina Pushaw, his former press secretary and others, are paying people to shill for him online. And certain names that come up are John Cardillo, uh, Dave Reboy, uh, I do think Pedro Gonzalez is one of them, a handful of these other people who are just going out and just bashing Trump, bashing Trump supporters. You've got John Cardillo out here on Twitter going after like Anons, people with, you know, without the real pictures or names or profiles. And he's telling him, hey, why don't you tell us your real name? Why do you hide behind a fake profile? And then when one person went after him really hardcore, like uh, I guess someone accused him of selling. John Dilly. I, uh, John Dilly is the one that I, or not John, Brendan Dilly. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I just remember it was Easter Sunday. I was, I was with my family all day and I just come home and I sit on the couch for like two seconds. I'm like, what the hell happened here? Is there a nuclear war? You got that John Cardillo guy who's at his polo club, the one that you can't afford. Mm -hmm. And he's just having this foul mouth tirade on Easter Sunday, no less. And I'm like, this is Ron DeSantis. This is the, the sanctimonious Ron DeSantis camp right here. No, it is absolutely it, it's off putting. And I'm convinced all of these people think that this is the way forward. I'm convinced all of them think that this is how we like get away from Trump and restore some sanity to the country. And we can have a president who can just get us like 15 percent back in the right direction and stop with all of the insane leftist claptrap that we're getting. And Trump's never going to be able to do it. Even if he does get in, it's going to be another four years of pain and suffering. We just we got to have DeSantis. But it's their elitist, holier than thou, sanctimonious attitude. I mm. uh, I'm at my polo club, you know. The one you can't afford. That's a direct quote, by the way. I'm, I oh. may have gotten one word wrong. 
Uh, no, I believe you. I, I, because I did hear apparently people said he seemed drunk, like he was just so off the rails. He was probably intoxicated again on Easter Sunday, no less. Well, the guy's got a lot of stress. I hate to just turn this into a gossip thing, but I was doing some reading. Apparently, he was uh, paid by a Ukrainian expat to send uh, a couple hundred thousand rounds of ammunition to Ukraine. He owns an arms dealer company because who doesn't, right? What, uh, what, what Twitter influencer doesn't have like an arms company? I think he's Eric Price or something so he gets paid to and this is what the lawsuit is about so there's some allegations going on here but he gets paid a bunch of money to send this ammunition the guy is sitting there saying hey what happened to all the ammo i bought the sbu needs it they got to round up more dissidents and uh and and john's like well you never gave me a certificate of of a certification for the certificate ammo and the guy's like, what are you talking about? I paid you millions of dollars. You told me that this would be handled. And so now the guy is suing John Cardillo for like millions of dollars trying to get his money back. And John Cardillo claims he just needs this document releasing the ammo. So anyway, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. I'm sure it's some sleepless nights. I know when I was getting sued, I had a couple too many drinks, John. It's okay. You'll get through it, bud. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I found it, by the way. So, I mean, just on that subject, that was the story I heard that like, apparently he was running guns to Ukraine. He clearly, he saw the movie War Dogs and thought it looked really easy, so he figured he, he would try it. He thought it looked like a way to make a bunch of money. I wish I could get in on that grift. This is the way I can <laughs> I can get into that lifestyle and, and hopefully marry a woman as beautiful as Anna de Armas, just like Miles Teller did in that movie. Um, but, yeah, so <laughs> he was retweeting. So Cardillo was going after a guy named uh, Meme TV at MAGA Meme Wizard on Twitter who uh, was just responding to one of uh, Cardillo's tweets just raging against uh, Alex Brusowitz, who's a, a Trump surrogate. Meme TV says, quote, Everyone sees who you folks are now. They all know the third-string losers Team DeSantis hired. They see you making fun of people for not being rich, doxing people, and attacking people for BS reasons because you're, quote, good at this. We have everything, John. To which Cardillo then says, Only third-string loser is this guy, retweeting a quote tweeting Meme TV, a coward who attacks people behind a fake name and pick. I'm done with them. I'll be exposing their real identities and every piece of dirt on them. They crossed a line with me tonight. Ooh, end quote. To which someone else uh, tweet uh, responded, Doxing is illegal. Truth hurts. Deal with it, wannabe. Cardillo then says, Never said I was doxing anyone. Idiot. We here on the right take, we, we quote tweeted that and said, basically pointed out, So you, Mr. Cardillo, literally said, quote, I'll be exposing their real identities. Then to, uh, one tweet later, you said, quote, never said I was doxing anyone. That, that's literally what doxing is, dude. That This guy, again, maybe he was well, drunk. You know, these guys aren't using the, they're not using the popular vernacular of doxing because that's just it. This is the Florida influencer industrial complex. They all have lawyers. They all have money. They all have yachts. They all, <laughs> they all go to the polo club. I mean, these are things that I can't even imagine at this stage of my life. And. And so they know that legally, because they probably had a lawyer review their posts for them, because they probably are just paying $200, $400 an hour to have a lawyer on, on retainer. Uh, so they, they know that in order to technically dock somebody, you're not just putting out their name, but you're also putting out like an address or a phone number, something that wasn't publicly available. And this guy's probably sitting there thinking, well, I have proof from their Facebook page that this is Bob John Doe from, from Tennessee, and I'm going to just put that out. 
and and in the public eye though, it doesn't make a lick of difference. Mm -hmm. If you put out information that somebody didn't want out, it doesn't matter legally in the public eye and in, in the world's the way that we the internet works right now. You're a scumbag. Mm -hmm. You're a piece of crap. You're human garbage. That person's identity was sacred to them. I don't necessarily agree that it should be, but for you to unilaterally make that decision because you got triggered over a tweet, you are <laughs> a piece of human trash. You should be taken out back with the rest of it and thrown into the burn pile. Exactly. And to go back to what you said, that these the DeSantis people are just getting so vicious from Cardillo and the rest of them. I think it is tied to what I said when Jacob and I were kind of uh, analyzing what we called a postmortem on DeSantis's not campaign. Because remember, this guy hasn't even announced yet, by the way. He's such a coward. He can't even bother to just come out and announce DeSantis his campaign. DeSantis is such a strong, powerful leader. He's coercing the Florida legislature to, of course, change the law mm -hmm. so that he can run while maintaining his position as governor. That's but he's such so a slimy. weak leader that they're not even... they're. they're they're going to do it on like the last day of the legislative session is my understanding. So he's such a powerful Republican leader that he strong arms the entire Florida legislature, but they can't even do it in a timely fashion because they know there's going to be political blowback. So they're just going to wait if that's okay, Mr. Governor. He's not even strong in his own state. No, he's really not. And again, all the great stuff he has gotten passed is because the Republicans have a super majority there in both houses. They can do literally whatever they want. Any Republican governor, had it been Adam Putnam, who he was running against the primary, he probably would also be getting some really based stuff done. The difference is DeSantis is being a showman and is, you know, doing these publicity stunts like, I'm a boss, a bunch of illegals up to New York City, you know, and of course that was copying Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott did it first. Um, but the point being that I think Jacob and I came to the agreement that if there was a window for DeSantis 2024, it was right after he was reelected. His poll numbers were at the highest at that point. Trump's were at the absolute lowest and uh, since January 6th, at least. And there was, there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of buzz. Again, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all praising DeSantis. But he waited a little too long. He, he should have gotten in like right then and there. That would have been the best opportunity for him. Still, I'm not saying he would have won. Trump still was the front runner, but that was his window. Then, it's, then it closed very quickly, I think. Certainly Trump's response to the East Palestine, Ohio incident, which just made him look like an absolute champion of the people once again. He went there before Biden even did. Certainly he went there before DeSantis did. And then, of course, you had CPAC. DeSantis skipped out on CPAC to do what? To go meet with a bunch of donors at a retreat. And then he turns around in an interview with Piers Morgan and claims, oh, I, I don't rub elbows with donors. I don't go to cocktail parties. But I am raising more money than any non-presidential non candidate in, mo in modern history. So just complete lack of self-awareness. While Trump goes to CPAC and gives a fire speech, I think, th and that's what it is, Tom. I think these people, the influencers, all of them, they are realizing that window is closed and it's all shifting back in Trump's favor. Trump's got the momentum. The longer this case drags out, as you said, the longer that momentum is going to stick with him. And they know he's DeSantis is not going to run. And because it's not about DeSantis, obviously, these the people who back him, the billionaires, Ken Griffin, Paul Singer, Ken Griffin, a former Obama donor, Paul Singer, huge gay rights activist. Rupert Murdoch, the, the Murdoch machine, Fox News, Wall you Street can, Journal. You could do, Paul Singer is a destroyer of small American towns. Like, he can go further than just LGBTQ rights. The guy will go in and he'll buy the one factory that is sustaining a town of 30,000 people, and then he'll outsource all the jobs to China in six <sighs> weeks. I mean, the guy's... You talk about garbage, but yes, sorry. Exactly. Just sorry to no, that, that's a great point. I didn't even know that. I just knew he was a huge gay rights guy because my point being, people are like, oh, DeSantis is so based on the trannies, you know, all the stuff he's passing. I guarantee you, Paul Singer will guarantee 
that if DeSantis were to become president, he would not go nearly as hard on the LGBTQ madness as he is right now as Governor DeSantis. Because to these people, it's not about DeSantis. It's about Trump. Like you said, DeSantis yep. could easily wait until 2028. He's only 44 years old. That's young in political terms. It's not like this is his last chance ever to run. This is President Trump's last chance to run, and they all know that, and they just want to stop Trump, and right now they see DeSantis as the biggest battering ram to try to knock Trump off and prevent him from ever having one last shot at being president ever again. So so here's my kind of overture to the DeSantis side, because you said something that, you know, all of his victories have been showmanship, and and I, that probably is true, that he's he's been acting over the past three years or so, thinking that he's going to be president one day, and he still could be, but... Something changed with DeSantis. DeSantis in 2022 was a right-wing warrior who was fighting the battles that we couldn't fight on our behalf. He was using the power of government for the benefit of his constituents. It was sort of like a dream come true for Republicans, and his messaging was pretty perfect. I mean, the guy had universal positive reactions within the Republican Party. But something changed when all of these people, all of the professional politician class, the Karl Roves got involved. The Jeb Bush is showing up at his his second inauguration. You've just it, it something changed. Ron stopped listening to his gut and he started listening to the people who were promising hundreds of millions of dollars for his eventual campaign. And that, I believe, is the worst thing that he's ever done. It's destroying his campaign. And it speaks to his character mm -hmm. because he, on an individual level, when it was just reportedly, he only keeps counsel with his wife. Nobody in his political shop is safe. I think that's great. Uh, but apparently that changed because the decisions that are being made now look nothing like they did a year ago. He looks like a total complete wimp. He's selling books in Ohio oh. when Tampa was at Fort Lauderdale, sorry, was underwater. He's, mm -hmm. and by the way, he's not even selling these books. This is the biggest thing. Preston Parra, who does some writing at Valiant News, he was the guy who got fired from right side broadcasting for being too mean to DeSantis on his personal, private, non-business social media. Uh, he went to DeSantis's book event that was in conjunction with the local Republican Party in Georgia. A donor bought thousands of copies of books, and you just got them for free when you walked in the door. So he's not selling books. He's court, he's rubbing shoulders with donors instead mm -hmm. of taking care of his state, instead of making sure Disney doesn't get away with ripping him off. Instead of doing everything that made him popular in the first place, he's going to Iowa to eat you know, what is it they eat out there? They eat corn dogs or something like that? I, I guess. Weird. I mean, it's he's ruining his reputation listening to these establishment idiots, and it makes me think he was never his own man, and he can never be his own man. The man, he's got to stop, or he's done. He's got to stop. No, I agree. And again, I think he always has been um, very, he always has been a career politician who just answers to the whims of what's going to advance his career, what's going to get him elected. Because as we talked about before, he did an interview with uh, Eric Bowling on Newsmax. And Bowling asked him just straightforward. He said, you know, would you consider being Donald Trump's vice president in 2024? To which DeSantis, you know, very coyly said, you know, I I'd rather not. I'd rather I'm an executive kind of guy. I'd rather be in a position where I can get things done. That's why I'm governor, you know. And the so, of course, basically saying no to a position that so many other politicians in this country would kill for to be a vice president on a presidential ticket. The hubris. And <laughs> but the point being. Mr. I'm an executive. I, I'd rather be an executive than, you know, uh, than than some VP or something. OK, well, then again, he was a congressman for, I think, three terms was not in the House very long. He ran for governor, as we all know. But in the Almost interim, lost. Tom, 
almost lost. He almost lost that primary until Trump saved him. And yeah, almost lost the uh, general election to a to a, a crackhead, a gay crackhead, no less, who's now in jail. Um, but do you remember, Tom? There was one other race DeSantis ran in between his during, before he ran for governor. Did he run for Senate? He briefly ran for the U.S. Senate in 2016. Because you remember, Tom, during those primaries, of course, Rubio was running and Trump destroyed him, absolutely demolished him. And he couldn't beat Rubio when he was like foam boy Lil Marco with the sweaty hands and the wa bottle of water? Well, because here's the thing is, if, if, I mean, yeah, no, Rubio, I mean, at the time, Rubio was way more well-known. He was a Tea Party favorite. He was a star of the Republican Party. He was, for a but while, Trump eviscerated him, like you said. But the thing is, Rubio initially said he would not run for re-election because he was so humiliated by Trump beating him in the Florida primary. So then it became an open primary, and DeSantis jumped in, and a whole bunch of other people jumped in. And the polls in that period of time, again, Rubio eventually changed his mind and came back and, of course, won the nomination, won re-election. But during that brief period when Rubio was not running— Every single primary poll showed DeSantis losing the nomination to another congressman for Florida named David Jolly, who is now, he's not in Congress anymore. He's a hardcore never-Trumper. He goes on CNN, <laughs> MSNBC, and he is all about, oh, I miss the old Republican Party. You know, I'm not one of those Republicans, that crap. So this guy could have lost us the Senate seat. He, I mean, that seat probably would have gone Republican that year, but DeSantis would have lost the nomination to a never-Trumper, and we would have a never-Trumper in that seat right now instead of Marco Rubio. So that's... and. That demolishes his argument of, oh, I'm an executive guy. Then why would you run for the Senate, which is the most unexecutive position imaginable? You have no, no power. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like he makes his own decisions, which is a huge letdown. I mean, I wanted to like the guy. You could ask mm -hmm. the, the people who I work with. Jack Hadfield was having nervous sweats this time last year because he was afraid <laughs> that I was going to be like a DeSantis guy because I gave DeSantis a fair shake. And that's the type of thing that makes me think I was hoodwinked. I was hoodwinked when Trump was doing all the great thing. I mean, when DeSantis rather was doing all the mm -hmm. great things in Florida, because this is how the story ends with him going and showing his true stripes yet again. Well, and this is why I've said before, and I'll say it again. I would, if Trump's not in the picture, I would rather have Glenn Youngkin for president than Ron DeSantis, if I'm being honest. And yes, I'm biased because I live in Virginia, obviously. But this, Youngkin is doing a lot of the same things, cracking down hard on the public education system, on the CRT. He's just got that soccer dad uh, uh, demeanor, so you can't get mad at him. The vest, exactly. And he's doing it quietly. He's putting base people in positions of power with education, with the Veterans Affairs Department. He's doing it tactically like a ninja in the night. You know, he's not busing illegals up to New York City or whatever. He's just getting it done and he's doing what he said he would do. And just recently, again, also news in the 2024 field, uh, Youngkin just recently said he basically shot down any speculation which I think is the correct move. He said, I'm not interested in 24. I'm not running for president. I'm not in Iowa. I'm in Virginia because we've got our off-year elections this year. And then, of course, he didn't say this, but I think what we're all building up to really is Youngkin will run for Senate next year in Virginia because Tim Kaine is up for re-election. And, of course, Youngkin can't serve consecutive terms. So I think he he is playing it smart. He knows maybe he has a bigger future in Republican politics, but it's not challenging Trump in 2024. He knows I read that. somewhere, <clears throat> excuse me, that he... Uh... He's communicating to the donors that uh, if he were to jump into the presidential race, he wouldn't make a decision until I believe he said like the first few months of next year. So he's very well, – I think you're right, and I think that pushing him to run for president – I see unlike Ron DeSantis, <laughs> unlike, unlike 
Florida sanctimonious guy. Uh, this guy, Glenn Youngkin, does seem to understand how politics works. And he does seem to understand that you do your governor thing. You make a lot of great changes. You become extremely popular. Now you have a base of support. Now you mm-hmm. have a state that you're going to carry in a general election, by the way. You prove that by, again, getting elected to the Senate for mm-hmm. a six-year term. You serve four years of those ter- of that term, maybe. So that way nobody can complain and say that you're, 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 you're ducking out, as is happening with DeSantis. Then you run for president. Now you have Virginia, a swing state that you are going to personally carry in the election, the general election. You've bided your time so you're not going to war with the Trump base of the Republican Party. And by the way, your name is Glenn Youngkin. You used to work for what was it? Goldman Sachs. You know every donor in America. You know every rich guy. You have them all on speed dial. No, I will say that that, that is brilliant analysis. Glenn Youngkin seems to be a much better politician than Ron DeSantis in every way and the crazy thing you're you're 100 right tom the crazy thing yunkin is not a professional politician his run for governor he's been doing this like what two years it's his first (laughs) time running for everything and he won he won a swing state that even trump could not win which this is why i love businessmen this is why i love trump because you get these moron politicians they just do everything wrong they step on their dicks all day every day you get glenn youngkin some loser ivy league nerd and he's like i think i'm gonna run for for maybe i'll do governor i'll do governor and he wins and he kicks ass and he might be president because because he at least has the mind of a businessman and not a gay lawyer. Yes, yes, a gay Yale lawyer. Yes, literally. Oh, it's just so great. Again, I unironically, I mean, I've said before, J.D. Vance is my top pick for a post-Trump Republican nominee in the future. Give him time to build himself up. He's, he's young. He's got plenty of time. But I love J.D. Vance. Uh, my number two would probably have to be Glenn Youngkin after that because, like, yeah, this guy can only go up. Like, yeah, Tim Kaine is the weaker of the two senators from Virginia. Definitely Youngkin could beat him. And that's, of course, one more. That's a vote in the Senate. That's very important because the 2024 Senate map is already pretty great for Republicans. You know, looking at flipping Ohio, flipping um, uh, Arizona, very likely West Virginia, also Montana even. But if we flip Virginia and hold that seat for six years, that's one more vote in the Senate. Oh, that's important. Um I mean, it's also kind of doing the impossible. Virginia, I thought it was gone. I've, I've yeah. been to Northern Virginia. It doesn't seem salvageable, and yet here it is. But that's also, it occurred to me too just now, Tom, just talking about the upper mobility someone like Youngkin has. DeSantis does not have that because obviously he's been a congressman already. You don't go back to being a congressman unless you're Charlie Crist, and he's the biggest loser in the history of Florida politics. Who is the other uh, senator from Florida? I'm showing my naivete or no, ignorance. It's Rubio and Rick Scott. Oh, duh. Yeah, but no, you're not getting either of those he's, seats. He's not going to. Yeah, he's not. They're both going to be there for a while. He has nowhere else to go. The only when, way that could work oh. is if Trump was going to do him a favor and make Rubio or Scott the, uh, you know, I don't know. VP what could they or, even or do? Cabinet Secretary position. of yeah. State. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way that that could possibly. But why would Trump lift a finger for DeSantis now? You're right. The guy's political career. But still, though, you could take two years off. He could serve yeah. out his term. He could then write another book and do mm-hmm. a two-year-long book tour, make a whole bunch more money, be constantly on Fox News, be one of Trump's most high-profile advocates outside of the uh, elected life, and come into 2028 being already – he could be in Trump's position today. So he does have some upward mobility. He could be campaigning for two years while Glenn Youngkin is passing votes in the Senate or whatever mm-hmm. and doing boring stuff that nobody cares about, you know, going to Ukraine and making everybody mad at him is probably what he would be doing. So it, it, 
he does have some upward mobility. He's just making the stupid decisions that Carl Rove or whomever else is telling him to do because that's what's going to get him to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. When in reality, DeSantis was on his way there before he started listening to these clowns and taking their money. That exactly. Yeah, they appealed to his ego. They successfully stroked his ego and ego enough to say like, oh, this is your time, Ron. We need you. You know what? Whatever it is, we can't have Trump. We can't have four more years of Biden. Now is your time. Well, and maybe, you know, when you're dangling, we are going to fund you with up to half a billion dollars and we'll make sure you're like the number one pick of the Murdoch media machine. And we'll make sure that you're connected with all of the lobbyists and we'll make sure that you get a bunch of endorsements six months before you announce. And, you know, they they are giving him everything, every tool that they have, but none of those tools could beat Trump in 16. So I don't know why he took them. Exactly. And like you said, it's all he had to do is wait two years between he's term limited out. Florida is one of the states that has uh, term limits on governors. Two years. Write another book. What have you do another tour. And that's some people would argue to say people argue, oh, he can't wait two years because then, you know, that that's too long. And. All you need to do is point to history. One of the greatest political comebacks of, of all time, I think, alongside Grover Cleveland coming back to win a non-consecutive term, is one of my favorite presidents, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. of course, people don't remember. He was a congressman. Then he was a senator from California. Then he was vice president under Eisenhower. Narrowly, Wouldn't give the dog back. Would not give the dog <laughs> back the checker speech. That is how you turn. That was so Trumpian. You turn a scandal around into something positive for your family. He then is the Republican nominee in 60, narrowly loses. I, I think that election was stolen. They stole it. They stole it, yep. Chicago. They stole Illinois and Texas. Um, and then, so that was a big defeat for him. Then, two years later, he goes back to his home state, and he runs for governor against uh, the incumbent Democrat, Pat Brown. Narrowly loses that, and then infamously gives uh, the final press conference. You won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. And basically now since he's <laughs> done, he's like, I'm done. I'll go back to law, whatever. So, and, and political obituary is written up. The political obituary of Richard Nixon. Six years later, he is elected president. So and that was six years. All right, that was six years off the stage completely. So if Nixon could do it, certainly someone like well, DeSantis could. This but. also isn't a six-year lag like this. I mean, look at Trump declared his candidacy in November of 22. Mm-hmm. So if D- Trump is going to be a lame duck in November of, uh, what, 26, he, he's not going. he can't run for re-election. DeSantis could announce... The second the Democrats do some crazy thing to Trump, which you know they're going to do, DeSantis can announce and say, I am announcing today. I am announcing today (laughs) because I want to have a populist successor to President Trump to hold these Democrats accountable. And then he would instantly be the successor. He would already be positioned to get 60 percent of the vote in the first primary. That would be. But he again. He's listening to stupid people and he's making stupid decisions and he's sealing his own political death warrant. It's not going to be tricky, Dick. But by the way, that is by uh, the most admirable thing about Nixon. Hmm. People point, you know, he got us off the silver standard. He does all these terrible things. But the story of Nixon is he just kept giving up. It's an inspiration, even after Watergate, where now it's basically the public consensus, at least on the right, that he was he had to go because he was threatening the national security state. And that's all the water. You know, Watergate was fed to those two lazy reporters who haven't done a damn thing but write on that for the past 50 years. Yeah. And he had to go because he but even after he was kicked out of the White House, in disgrace, one of the worst things ever to happen to America. Two years later, he's on 60 Minutes and everybody loves him again. I mean, it was great. He, he just kept getting up. He wouldn't stay down. 
He successfully re rehabilitated his image, yeah, post-presidency as an elder statesman. He traveled the world and talked to world leaders. He served as counsel for successive presidents. I read uh, some of the books about his later years and how that was a very remarkable post-presidency that he does not get nearly enough credit for because the man he was— wrote he wrote a letter to Trump saying he should run for office and he'll win when he does. <laughs> exactly. I actually should point out, I, I said early in this episode, I said Trump was the greatest foreign policy president since Eisenhower FDR. I actually realize that is an insult to uh, Richard Nixon, who I think was arguably the greatest foreign policy president we have had. Trump could definitely get there with a second term. Nixon had two or a term and, and a half. brilliant example because he was totally hamstrung on his domestic agenda. Oh, it was yeah. destroyed. He had, he was in China or wherever he was delivering those great speeches that were broadcast to America the next day or whatever, as the country was falling apart, mm -hmm. he was opening up China as America was being destroyed. He was getting us out of Vietnam as they were like laying the groundwork for his impeachment. It's it's phenomenal, or it's or it's a it's a fascinating phenomenon, rather, how Republicans are just so good at being executives that they they suck at micromanaging it <laughs> and keeping keeping the nation from blowing itself up while they fix it. Yeah, yeah, and again, give Trump a second term. I think he that too is why they have to stop him with this indictment and with DeSantis and with everything on all sides. They have to stop him because they know he's seen the inside now. He knows how serious the threat of the deep state is, the bureaucracy, all of it, the CIA, the intelligence agencies. He knows now what needs to be done. You know, that's what um, right. uh, Schedule F was about. Yeah, they were getting ready to implement towards the end of the first term. They know that if he gets back in there, he is gonna nuke. The deep state. Well, he also has nothing to lose. Yes. He's in a he's a lame duck the second he enters office. I guess he's maybe a little bit worried about the midterms. Who is he trying to do favors for though? Mitch McConnell, forget it. <laughs> so he he has a, and the Don Jr. pointed this out the other day. He has a unique opportunity that no other Republican has ever had, where he knows exactly what to do, and he owes nobody anything at this point. The Republican Party is stabbing him in the back. The DC machine treated him like dirt for the first four years that he was there. He can go in, do the world's most unpopular but necessary executive orders to destroy the deep state, fire every guy who's ever been there, move the offices to Wyoming and South Dakota and Texas, but not the not like Texas, Texas. I'm talking like far, far southeast Texas where it's all swampy. Like just just totally demolish the institutions that these people have infiltrated over the past. It's it's the dream that I've had since 2015. The left did a long march through the institutions. It took basically three generations, and this is the result. The institutions are all weaponized against us and rotting from the inside out. I've always said, we don't have that time. I mean, I guess we could do it that way. The nation might collapse first, and I want to be, I'm selfish. I want to live to see it. And so, therefore, we can't do a long march through the institutions. We have to do a hostile takeover, and and I'm just speaking in figurative terms. I'm against violence. We have to do a hostile takeover and then, like, light a bomb, set a bomb off inside. We cannot have these institutions the way they are. Trump now has a blueprint for how to do that. It can be the most impactful, influential presidency in the history of the United States if we can get the guy in there and if he does what he has always done and stays true to his word.
Exactly. And that's what they're most afraid of. A man who has, they, they always say, you should be terrified of a man who has nothing to lose. And Trump has nothing, politically speaking, he has nothing left to lose. He goes in there, he could make Michael Flynn the director of the FBI. And with the Republican support in the Senate, there's nothing they can do to stop him. You know, And that, if they just kill him, then you just pissed everybody off. Congratulations. And there's, you know, there, the, the rumor is that it's going to be a woman for his VP. And that's just yeah. set in stone. But the two women that are, seem to be in the, in the running right now and at the top of the ticket seem to be, or at the top of the polls seem to be uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Carrie Lake. So oh. if you kill Trump, because you, if you JFK Trump and then you have President Lake, you're just a screw. <laughs> oh, like, they always like, said, they always said that was what Pence's role was. Is Pence was kind of the insurance policy because Pence, of course. But meanwhile, they yeah. would have they would have loved to have Pence. Pence oh, would yeah. have been fine. But <laughs> but like the leftist base was terrified of Pence because he was governor of Indiana and you know yeah, he was all right. anti LGBT. So like they said he was far more right wing. In that sense, he was more like of an evangelical conservative than Trump. Was, but in of course, reality, but, they should yeah. have been terrified. That they will be terrified. Imagine Marjorie Taylor Greene gets to be president. I mean, they don't want that. That's not good for them. So either of those two candidates would be better life insurance than Pence. Oh yeah, no. I I agree. I mean, if we were talking VP picks here, because I did want to have this discussion at some point with Jacob, but of course we can, I definitely want your thoughts on this, Tom, of uh, VP picks. I mean, oh, there, there's just so many great potentials. My ideal pick would have always been Alan West. I think Alan West would have been solid. I mean, he did kind of nuke his own political comeback in Texas for reasons still as of yet unknown to us, but I like him a lot. Uh, I like Youngkin. I, I think Youngkin, as I just said, would be a solid VP. If you want someone who's going to balance the ticket as it were Yunkin would be perfect to that but yeah as you said you know i i hate to say it but we are i don't think you will ever ever in america see another ticket with two white men i'm not uh, celebrating this no of but course you're not you you're never gonna see another ryan romney trump pence it's ne uh, never is, oh. never gonna happen again <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. That unfortunately. Don't you remember before, like before Biden, when it looked like he was going to lose, mm -hmm. he said, "I want to pick a woman to be my vice president, a black woman, black woman yes. to be my vice president." That was when he was losing. That's right up there with Ted Cruz uh, picking Carly, Carly Figueroa uh, to. That, I mean, that's but he. Then, of course, the party's like, oh, OK, he'll put a black up. OK, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. We're in. We're in. Superdelegates engage. But well, because well, he, he backed himself into a corner because he initially pledged early on he would pick a woman as his VP. Then the race riots happened. And, of course, Black Lives Matter becomes the be most a black woman. So then it's and of course, at that point, he's screwed because there are no black female governors. There were like five black women in the House. There was one black woman in the Senate. And Stacey Abrams was like seriously considered just for a, just for an idea of like how bad. The, but the great like, thing, shoot, you ever hear that old tape of Nixon finding out there's no uh, good Supreme Court justice candidates who are women? Because oh, he promised that if there was a, a woman, he would he would, you know, seriously consider it. And he gets the call. You know, he taped everything because he was a moron. And he gets the call from his person who is getting the list together. He's like, and there's none of them. Not not a single woman in the United States of America is. Suitable for the spring. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, thank God. You're telling me that I don't have. To. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I love Richard Nixon so much. Oh, man. That's hilarious. No, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously, we are probably past the age of, uh, you know, no more uh, white male dominated presidential tickets, unfortunately. Um, because, yeah, I, I said, I. Alan West again. He is African American, but I think he could work maybe. But yeah, I think I, I, I think I've said that before that Alan West would be a cool person to uh, have run with Trump because 
you know, then you at least he checks that box. I don't know if it's enough of a box to check, but <laughs> but I mean, I, it does I, seem like Vivek Ramaswamy might be making a play. I I can't honestly consider. You were talking about he could he could go the distance, but he is a businessman, and at some point, he has to question all the money that he's putting into this thing if he's getting like two or three percent in the polls. Now, obviously, nobody knows who he is. Debates could change that. But I could see him being a viable vice president because he's a businessman like Trump, uh, but he's a minority. He's basically a straight white male because he's Asian. But well, what is it? A Appy? Appa? Appy? The new thing? Asian and Pacific Islander? Oh, uh, so, yeah, so he, yeah. Ch he checks that box. I mean, it's a complicated mess, tangled web we've weaved here in America, but I think he could do it. Yeah, if I were to be more realistic, again, ignoring the whole white guy thing, my top realistic pick for VP would be Ron Johnson, because I think he is one of mm. the most solid, like, underrated Republican senators. Of course, he's from a stink swing state, Wisconsin, which is important, but also, from the very beginning, he was always solid on the Russia collusion stuff. He used his position as a committee chairman to really crack down on the Russia collusion stuff early on when they still seriously thought it was real. But yeah, what, what do you make of Jim Jordan? I've always been kind of a skeptic because he's Mr. I take big tech money and I fight them and I don't wear my blazer ever. So you should trust me. But uh, he seems to be making the best play for vice president that I've seen anybody except maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene make right now. He's he's delivering speeches. He's going to Manhattan. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, Jim Jordan, I think I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm happy to say it now that you asked my opinion. Uh, I think the man is a slightly less tra uh, fake version of Trey Gowdy. You know, like he is mm. he is the chairman of this committee. You know, he's going to say he's going to do all these things, but he's very not good at getting sound bites. Yes. Fox News getting the boomers on Fox News to clap for him. Uh, you think you think it'll I, my question is, though, like he's positioning. I don't know. I think that he's making a play right now. He went to the NRA. His whole speech was about Trump. Uh, if making a play, yeah, no, I definitely believe he's making a play. Oh, yeah, no, I'm making a play. I could see him trying to make a play for Trump's VP. I, I thought you were asking how what I feel about him as like a as a person, oh, like as yeah. as a politician. Yeah, no, I I, I assumed we agreed, and I assumed yeah. the audience, uh, your audience, isn't a Fox News audience. It's no. so it's such a weird disconnect because Fox News has made this guy like Trey Gowdy into such a hero. Mm. That's a great uh, analysis. I mean, it's. There are basically two people who are actually the hosts of uh, Hannity, and their names are Lindsey Graham and uh, Jim Jordan. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, and with occasional guest host Sean Hannity, <laughs> and a, and a live audience now. Apparently, Hannity now does his show in front of a live audience of like twenty people, like Jerry Springer style, for no real reason. But I I, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. But yeah, no, Jim Jordan. Yeah, I can see him making a play. I mean, Ohio. You don't need someone from Ohio because Ohio is safely red now. But yeah, he's the boomers love him certainly. I'll, even if the establishment probably doesn't love Jim Jordan too much, but yeah, he's just a man who promises way too much and delivers nothing on it. You know, again, like Trey Gowdy. Uh, two more, I, I gotta run by you here, Tom. Uh, if it's gonna be a woman, the ones being talked about, yeah, Carrie Lake, Marjorie Taylor Greene, some people were saying maybe Nikki Haley or Christy Nome. Shoot me if it's Nikki Haley. Christy Nome, I could tolerate, I guess. If I think Haley would be a, almost a deal breaker for me. We'd be so far into it that it'd be like I, it's an, a sunken cost fallacy. But I think Ooh. I have to very vocally come out and say this is a mistake. She I wish I'd done that with Pence. I came kind of close. I interviewed the, the million years ago on a TV show that like only exists on YouTube now. And I asked Alan Cobb, who was the Midwest manager for the Trump campaign. This is like three days after Pence was selected. And I just kind of go. So Pence, huh? How'd you come up with that one? <laughs> and I wish I'd been more piercing because I could have been, I could look like a genius now. 
But uh, no, Haley would be terrible. Mm -hmm. Noam, I guess, is a compromise between the establishment and the Trump people. Noam isn't uh, 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 a JFK insurance, though. She'll just do whatever they want. Exactly. Yeah. And people only know of her and like her for a speech she gave before Trump's speech Fourth of July uh, at Mount Rushmore in 2020, I think. So, I mean, well, and everything she said was a total like she claimed she was a big anti-lockdown governor like DeSantis. But I think DeSantis was actually better. I'm I'm not I, I, I haven't looked at all this in a while. I'm kind of past the covid part of my life. I'm trying to pretend it never happened. But uh, if memory serves, Nikki Haley refused to do any statewide lockdowns. She let the counties and cities do it, which means if your city was even marginally, you know, and it is, it's a pretty rural state, but if you lived in even a marginally left-wing city, you were going to have a lockdown and a mask mandate and everything else. So she didn't exercise state power to prevent mask mandates and stuff. And I don't, I don't think DeSantis really did either. In retrospect, I think that he allowed the cities and states to do it. I do remember it, I guess it was CPAC 22, uh, people were getting kicked out, or maybe 21, people were getting kicked out for not wearing face masks. And I'm guessing that was a city ordinance. So all of this anti anybody who got famous for being an anti lockdown governor, I am very suspect of. I lived in a state with a blue governor and we were actually pretty damn lax because it was a blue governor in a purple state and she knew that she was vulnerable. I think that we probably were just as free as these wonderful red state strongholds of Florida and and, and Nome State. I I just don't what she's from South Dakota, right? Yes, yeah, South Dakota. Uh, I just yeah. don't think that they were so much better than like a state that people forget about. Like my state kansas exactly yeah no i mean most the governors who were the earliest to reopen were abbott uh, remember brian kemp was the first to reopen his state georgia and they freaked mm. out on him the media just went nuts like oh you're anti-science you're gonna get people killed then abbott did it a little while later and then DeSantis reopened in like september i think of 20 all of these people didn't all of them do the same sin that trump did remember trump was bad because he allowed states to make their own decisions as to lockdowns and then all the governors did the same exact thing as trump every nobody in that whole covid crisis wanted to be the man in the arena and wield power that was what pissed everybody off but it's not something that trump can use against them or they can use against trump because desantis also just just passed the buck and let local municipalities and county administrators decide whether or not there were going to be COVID lockdowns. That's how come I had to, I never wore a mask. I got kicked out of places, but that's mm. how come my city had a, had a mask requirement. At one point we had a lockdown. I drove 20 minutes North of here to go to a suburb because I needed a PlayStation controller. Like that's how <laughs> stupid it was. There was no coherence to any of it because the governor wouldn't take a stand one way or another. I'm pretty sure South Dakota was the same way. She wouldn't take a stand. Therefore some cities had lockdown. Some cities had mask mandates. Some cities you could get by with just a face shield. Some cities you had to do this and other cities were fine. Same with DeSantis. I, so therefore, yeah, not a big fan of Gnome to get back to your question. Not very impressed with her. Uh, she is weak on the uh, transvestite issue, I believe. Yes. As well. She vetoed uh, that I, bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really anybody uh, of the ladies who oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, because I, I, I think there is one woman I would prefer uh, and that's got to be Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee because now she just did something. She refused to speak out uh, when Trump was uh, charged. Uh, oh, I didn't know about that. I just I my my 
thing for her is, of course, she is from Tennessee, which is the leading anti-tranny state. Like, no state in the country has passed more bills on, you know, banning men from women's sports. That's true. All that stuff. And, like, right after the Nashville shooting, she and the other senator from Tennessee co-sponsored a bill to increase, uh, to spend $900 million for to put armed guards in schools, in private schools and whatnot. So, basically, it said, you know, screw the gun control thing. We're going to call for more guns. So, that's pretty based. She's... She's got that Southern accent, got that Southern charm. You know, I, I think she'd be pretty solid. And again, coming from the anti-tranny state, they thought Mike Pence was bad. Oh, they, the left would go nuts at someone like Blackburn. But they do seem to hate her. She's mm-hmm. savvy. Um, I, yeah. I would have to learn more about her because I I met just before I was really doing this. I met one of her office people and I just got I I got DC vibes this I met her at a <laughs> she turned me down at a bar at the R no I didn't ask her out but I was at a <laughs> bar at the RNC in 2016 and I just talked to everybody and I'm like who is this stuck up fake bitch and uh turns out she worked for Marsha Blackburn uh so I I have questions I don't know she's been in DC a long time the 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 scandal or insofar as it was one uh that I remember seeing was before Trump was arraigned but I believe when the indictment was real and not just hypothetical. I believe she put out her office, put out a statement saying that uh, it would be improper for the senator to discuss an ongoing legal issue or something like that, which of course is complete and utter garbage and whoever put that out should be fired. But uh, I, I it, she does fill the boxes and I think I'd prefer her to know. Now, my two favorites I think have to be Go ahead. You got no, one no, more? I'm, saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager for your. I mean, is. there's only a, like if if we're going to play their game and we're mm. going to say, OK, it has to be a woman. Uh, well, then in my mind, there are only two candidates and I'm not 100 percent sold on either. But it's uh, the wonderful representative Marjorie Taylor Greene <laughs> and it's Carrie Lake and both have huge upsides and huge downsides. Marjorie Taylor Greene is known for being like a QAnon crazy person who attacked David Hogg. But they don't mm-hmm. even say Hogg's name, right? They say the, a school shooting survivor. Right. And then, of course, you roll back the tape and it's uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. David Hogg is in D.C. on official business, and she's as a citizen journalist saying, David Hogg, why did you say this? David Hogg, can I get your statement on this? David Hogg, David Hogg. And it's not, and she's not, and by the way, the kid's like 20 years old at this point, so it's yeah. all just total fake news. But, so she is a total crazy person now. She's trying to rehab her image. She did 60 Minutes, did a phenomenal job. Everybody I've talked to says that she owns like oh, they didn't yeah. think it was possible. Uh, so, We've got a year, basically, till Trump has to make a decision or start getting serious about it. She's got a long time to rehab her image. The upside is that Marjorie Taylor Greene is an outsider who is really good at politics. Uh, she, If Trump picks her, she all of a sudden, he's allied better than ever with the Speaker of the House of Representatives. That means yes. there will never be another fear of impeachment again. That means wall funding instead of the Paul Ryan charade show. Uh, yeah, very, very good things if you pick Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, the other candidate is, of course, Carrie Lake. Lake. Carrie Lake, she's kind of a modern Nixonian figure, I almost think. I, uh, her husband is a big media guy, he owns a production company, hmm. and she records everything all the time. She wears a microphone, a lavalier microphone on her wherever she is, and her husband has a film crew that is constantly filming her. And that's how come she was able to get those hilarious moments like where the, I think it was a CNN journalist tried to ambush her as she's walking inside a building and uh, Carrie Lake just goes, oh, you're not wearing a mask this time, huh? Well, maybe if you wear a mask, we can talk. I don't know why you're not wearing one this time. And it was just hilarious. 
hilarious. And there's like nine or 10 of these because Carrie Lake is really smart and really good at politics. And she just knows how to operate. She's almost like Trump without the the bullish queen's persona that made a lot of us love him. She's got her own thing going on though. She's got like this smoky voice news presenter from another century. It's great. The downside with Carrie Lake, of course, is because they stole the election. Mm -hmm. She's never held election elected office. She's probably not. She might have time to, I guess, make a run for the Senate. That would be stupid. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, oh, I, I was gonna say, if we want to go on a slight tangent there on the Senate race, I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Tom, because the Senate race in Arizona is one of the important ones. We can pick it up now because cinema's running as an independent the democrats uh, at least one democrat prominent democrat uh congressman ruben gallego is running for that party's nomination that could split the ticket right then and there and guarantee a republican pickup but carrie lake is talking about the senate uh how do you feel about carrie lake running for senate now that at least one republican has announced and that's a uh, pinal county sheriff mark lamb who's huge on immigration that's his that's his big issue he appears on newsmax and fox news to talk about the border crisis uh what do you think about the dynamics of that senate race I think I interviewed him once. He was a nice guy. I think it was him. Um, but uh, it was him or the other famous sheriff from down there. Not Arpaio. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> the base uh, sheriff. Yeah, yeah. Tangent. Yeah, We've yeah. got a bunch of really good sheriffs in Arizona. What oh, can they you do? Sure what do you do. say? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it all goes back to what I was saying because Carrie Lake is a phenomenal pick for VP because she she would like – if you put Marjorie Taylor Greene and Carrie Lake and, and you just told people to pick who is the better debater and I mean let's just be real, who who looks better, all that type of stuff, you're going to pick Carrie Lake. But she's never held office because mm -hmm. they stole the election. Yes. And then you just have two people on the ticket and there is a subsection of the Republican Party that is going to object to this. You have two people on the ticket that are just going to be perceived as bitching about the elections they yes. lost all day. Yes. Um, so it's not a great look, but if she wins the Senate, then all of a sudden she's a very prestigious person. She's just as experienced as Barack Obama was when he went into the white house and he mm -hmm. was in the, in the, in the driver's seat. So I just don't know. I don't know how, what else she could do to stay relevant and become a more realistic VP choice than run for that Senate seat. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea because I think Arizona is a giant question mark. The mm -hmm. Republicans there are uh, catty. Uh, I've, I've known a lot of them. I tried to be nice to a lot of them. They're catty. They're still like 20% of the state Republican Party that is the ghost of John McCain. They're still there. They're still – they. It, it's a very, very, very strange state to win in because Carrie Lake would probably not have the total support of the state Republican Party – you still have Maricopa County. You know, we've been talking about Nixon. Uh, you know who uh, is the top lawyer for Maricopa County? Liddy's son. Isn't that oh, crazy? Oh, my goodness. It, and his, I think his name is Gordon Liddy the, the, like third or something like that. It's, it's <laughs> insane. And so you've still got Maricopa County with, with Arizona's own Bill Gates in charge of it. That You have Katie Hobbs now, the Secretary of State who ran the election and yes. then won. Mm -hmm. and, it was, and everybody says it was stolen. So it's a very, very difficult state to win in under the best conditions. And I don't I, – I love Carrie Lake. I want to see her somehow yeah. – She's great. Stay around for 20 years. She, she's, she could be our country's Margaret Thatcher. But I just don't know if the Senate is the way to do it. But I understand why she's going to do it because she wants to get to the White House. She wants to be with Trump. She wants to be the president one day. I think she would be a phenomenal president one day. And the Senate might be the only realistic path to get there. 
I agree. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth that a big problem is that as the VP for Trump, certainly she just talked mostly about how the 2022 election was stolen from her. And I think the same is true for if she were to run for Senate. I fear she would easily win the Republican primary. But then she would have trouble in the general election, I think. Whereas someone like Mark Lamb, who, you know, he has one elected office. He's a sheriff. Immigration is his main issue. But he, as a sheriff, he can also talk about crime, of course, which is another powerful issue. That's how New York almost slipped red last year. I think he'd be a solid. He's the best possible general election candidate. I love Blake Masters, the former Senate nominee. I think he was robbed as well. And, of course, no help from Mitch McConnell as well. But he also lost, quote unquote. So it shouldn't be either of them. Uh, you know, Karen Robinson, who ran against uh, Lake for uh, the governor's primary. Now, you know, though, having a straight white man who has a background in law enforcement, that's a that's all <laughs> massive cons <laughs> nowadays. Oh, but uh, I do like him. I honestly I, I'm going to have to wait to make up my mind. I don't think Blake Masters should do it. I liked Blake Masters. Mm -hmm. I liked the I, I liked that Peter Thiel was getting so involved in the midterms. Yes. I think that that is especially we're kind of still uh, as far as I can tell we're kind of in the vacuum of uh what was it adelson who died a few years back yes um so you need somebody who's got a vision and i think peter Thiel's vision is a lot more compatible with our vision uh than most of the other republican money guys but i just don't think blake masters i don't think his heart was ever in it and uh and so I don't think he would be a good candidate. Um, I think Lamb or Lake. Lamb, I, I, you've got a lot of cons. I don't know. Arizona is a question mark. I got sued there by the sitting U.S. senator yeah. who now is going to keep his seat for six years because I made a bad prediction saying that Blake Masters was the guy. So mm. I got to think about Arizona some more. But I do hope Carrie Lake figures out a way to uh, get into the White House. I, I agree. She certainly would be great in the cabinet, if nothing else. But there's one other pick, and then we'll move on from this VP discussion because th th this has been great. Uh, uh, one other pick, I think, for VP would be legendary. And I just got to, if you will indulge me, Tom, I got to play a clip here from one man who is an elected official in a pretty crucial state, a swing state, who ticks off at least one identity politics box, but that's not why I'm picking him. I'm picking him because... Like Alan West, he is African-American, but he is also extremely based. And this has got to be my favorite speech that he has given thus far. Here's something else I'm not supposed to say. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. <laughs> Ain't that but men and women. And I can already see WRL out there. They got their licking their pencils around, trying to write fierce as they can. Get every word of this here. Get every word of this. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh, who that is, great. Tom? No, who is that? Is that the guy from Florida? No, no, that is Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor of oh, North Carolina. I know that. I should have known that. Yeah. that guy, so this guy is really remarkable. So he was is a business. Is he running for governor? He he might. It's not confirmed yet because uh, so bit of backstory, of course, he is a businessman who went famous for giving a viral speech at like a city council meeting for, over a, ref, a resolution that was considering uh, gun restrictions, gun control. He just spoke out in favor of, you know, gun owning law abiding citizens. That speech launched him to fame for uh, just as a Second Amendment advocate. And then in general, he ran for lieutenant governor, won the nomination 
And this was crucial. He beat the Democrat in the general election. He won by three points in 2020. So the same year Trump won the state, but it was also the same year that Democrat Governor Roy Cooper was reelected by about a four point mm, margin. Right. So same ballot. That's huge. Who, that was the, who was the governor guy? Who was the Republican? Wasn't he kind of a squishy? I don't know if I like Trump type. That was, I think, Pat McCrory. Let me double check and make sure. Uh, I, be, I, you know, I, you cover this for a living. It all comes back to you. And I do remember because I remember yeah. the news being positioned that uh, his, the lieutenant governor winning and the governor losing was a reflection of the electorate being 100% aligned with Trump. And if you don't get out there and you don't advance this America first agenda, you don't get enough votes to win. That's right. Yeah. Pat McCrory was always kind of soft on Trump. So he he was governor. He lost in 2016 to Roy Cooper. Roy Cooper was then reelected against the incumbent lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest. So Robinson mm. ran to succeed Forrest as lieutenant governor. But yeah, that cross that split ticket splitting was so important. And then, yeah, McCrory, as you may remember, Tom, he ran for Senate in 2022 in the primary and lost to Ted Budd, who was endorsed by Trump. Bud absolutely crushed him with Trump's endorsement. Bud, of course, won. So, right. So, yeah. So now, of course, North Carolina is another state that has term limits. So Cooper's term limit out in 2024. So yeah, Robinson is considered a potential candidate for... And what was the name? North Carolina is a state that they made a big play for, and I have to toot my own horn. We made a bit of a... I mean, I, I'm i I'm in no small way responsible for North Carolina staying red. Well, you're welcome, folks at home. Um, uh, there was a guy by the name of... Uh, oh, God, what was his name? It was Tom Tillis. Yes. And the, the, Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham was the Democrat. He was insurgent. He was anti-Trump. This was in uh, 20... Uh, God, must have been 2020. 20. Yeah. And Cal Cunningham was the Democrat. He's going to win. Turns out he was a like big league major, big time philanderer. Like he mm -hmm. uh, made the beast with two backs with the wife of a U.S. service member mm. who became so despondent that his wife was a whore and that Cal Cunningham was a was a pimp. Uh, he became so despondent that he was considering taking his own life. Oof. Cal Cunningham himself being, I believe, at the time, a reserve member of the armed forces. Yes. Uh, neglect and in a superior uh, position. He was uh, very high up as far as I remember. He uh, had uh, he had a duty, therefore legal obligation, I believe, to go out and report that he was screwing this guy's wife and making him suicidal. Uh, that's kind of a big deal in the military, suicide. So I've been told. Uh, so Cal Cunningham uh, got kicked out of his marital home. He was living with his sister. This is all like three days before the election. Oh, that's uh, the, he admitted to everything, and nobody has seen hide nor hair of him since this happened. You're welcome. And still, by the way, it was 2020. They still tried to steal the election from Tom Tillis, a mm -hmm. neocon loser who I don't even like. Yeah. But they tried to steal the election from him. It took like two weeks after the election day to finally admit that they couldn't find any mailbox votes to shove into the system and that Tom Tillis was going to re retain his seat. So yeah. that's how desperate they were. Just by the skin of our teeth, we were able to, and that, but that is what helped the state say, stay culturally conservative. And, and, you know, now everybody knows Democrats are philandering creeps. And uh, so now, and now what have we just seen the other day? I just checked in on North Carolina. I believe they now have a Republican majority in the state house for the first time in a decade or more, uh, because a, Democrat in a pretty left-wing district uh, just changed over to Republican. And so now they basically have a veto-proof majority in the North Carolina State House to where that governor, the Democrat governor we were just referencing a second ago, his power is gone. He has yep. nothing. He is a lame duck from here until he loses.
Exactly. Yeah, that's a uh, state rep, Trisha Cotham, who gave a big speech announcing she was switching from Democrat to Republican for, among other things, you know, the left. She said, like, they demand uniformity. They will turn against you if you dare to speak out on anything. And so she's joined the Republicans. So, yes, because North Carolina is a crucial state. It is seen as a swing state still to this day. You know, Obama won in 2008. It, along with Indiana, flipped back to Republicans for Mitt Romney in 2012. Well, and make no mistake, they made a Virginia-style play. There's a, gosh, I know Raleigh, Durham, and I can't remember the third one, but they call it the Triangle, three cities that have all merged into one globalist China-style metropolitan area. Oh. And uh, the, it, it, all the big tech companies for a period of about five years were relocating to North Carolina to be part of this region because, you know, the Republican uh, GOP, uh, what do you call them, Chamber of Commerce-controlled politicians were were giving them tax breaks. So they were getting this huge leftist infusion out of nowhere in the middle of the South. I've been there. It's beautiful. And so this is a Virginia level play. This is a Texas level play. This is what they do. And it was defeated and it is being defeated. So that's that's something that we should all look as a as a white pill, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. So because Jacob is of the opinion that North Carolina is a state that Republicans should still put some time and money and effort into because it's it is close. Trump barely beat Biden there even with the voter fraud. Again, Tillis was narrowly reelected to do. Well, and right I, now we have the momentum. Here. It could go yes. away at any time. You're it, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But if you put Robinson on the ticket, uh, that single, I think that puts in a lot of legwork right there to carry North Carolina. Just yeah, North Carolina is no longer a concern at that point. That would be good. Exactly. And then those resources can go to the states you do need to win. And as I've said before, I think at this point, the path to 270 is very narrow, but not closed yet. You just got to focus on assuming he holds Ohio, Iowa, Florida, North Carolina, flip Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin. That's 270 well, right there. What's up? Here's how to turn a black pill into a white pill for Let's you. Because it. you, I mean, I think we almost are in a Rudy Giuliani for mayor time in America where that city will never ever have another Republican. It's not good. Ed Curtis Lee with the best candidate mm -hmm. that God could have given them. And he lost by like 20 points. It was horrifying. And so that's that city is done. But for a brief moment, people were getting raped every day, shot every day. It was hell on earth. For a brief moment, people were willing to stay home on the left because they were so despondent. And it allowed the right to eke out a victory. They got a little bit of crossover vote. They just barely pulled it off. And New York was rescued. And for 15 years, it was great. And then now it's getting back to where it was. But I don't think it'll ever it, it, too many of them are in Florida. Too many of them are leaving. Anthony Cumia yes. is leaving. Gavin McInnes is leaving. Two of the New York icons of the right are going to be gone soon. Gavin Wax is in Florida as we film this. I don't know. Oh, I don't know who's going to be left. Uh, so but I think we're reaching a similar time to when Rudy Giuliani won in this country. I mean, it's it's rough out there, folks. I heard in the grocery stores I'm walking by, this this family is going, how the hell are minute steaks $15? That's cube steak, for those who don't know. It's the cheapest cut of meat you could possibly get. Like, it's not going to get better. All of our money is going to Ukraine. That's going to be a huge thing that nobody understands right now. I'm following it, like, way too much, even though it's not reflected in my reporting because nobody cares but our country is losing all of its wealth we're just shoving it into this black hole called war and meanwhile we can't even build enough bullets to do the same thing in Taiwan when it happens next year so we are in a very dark place fuel is going to be getting higher inflation is not going to go down they're going to continue to raise the interest rates make it impossible for people to buy a house borrow money start a business we're in for a dark meanwhile they're hiring what 30,000 IRS agents we're in for a very dark 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 period 
The beauty of it is, hey, we're in 2023. We've got a year and a half left. We know that they have to edge off the boot towards the election, but they're going, it's still like, they can't keep this Titanic afloat. This could be Trump's opportunity for the left to just be like, wow, this guy sucks. I'm just staying home. And then we eke out another victory because their fraud can't outdo their own creation. Their own horrifying domestic chaos agenda is coming home to roost. So that's that's my white pill. It's Rudy Giuliani times a thousand. Uh, the left is going to stay home. Our side is going to be so energized by how horrible our lives are becoming that uh, we, we barely eke out a victory. We all just have to hang in there till then. Uh, try not to sell your house because when Trump's in office, that seems to go up. Yeah, I, I think your assessment is spot on there, man. It is approaching a truly existential crisis for our nation and realistically for all of Western civilization. Again, that America is in uncharted waters. Even Nixon and post-Watergate, it was nothing quite like this. You know, Ford pardoned him and that was over. You know, we never went through that trial right. with the former president. It's it's well, and it has to be Trump, right? Because mm -hmm. real changes have to be made. Yes. Illegal immigration has to be severely curtailed. You have to get these DAs out of office. You have to basically destroy the Department of Education and ship it to Kansas or something. I mean, no, no not even here. Teachers unions are too strong here. But you, got, you, you have to make some serious unpopular changes right now or else elections are just charades at this point. Uh, you have to do some serious changes and only Trump can do them. DeSantis is going to be worried about his reelection and his post-presidency because he's mm -hmm. only going to be, what, 56 when he gets out of office or something crazy? Like, that's way, no, no. You have to have somebody like Trump. This is his moment. If anybody else is a mistake. Exactly. And I think President Trump already is capitalizing on the messaging that needs to be said to clarify, to make this the theme of his campaign. Now, they have given, again, in trying to take him down, they have given him the ultimate weapon. And he summarized it, I think, beautifully in this video. This is a, this started as a meme that I think he eventually retweeted on Twitter and now has since been saying in his speeches. This was from his video response after the indictment was announced before the arraignment happened. The immortal line, I think. They know that we can defeat them. They know that we will defeat them. But they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just standing in their way. And I always will stand in their way. <laughs> I, I love that. That is just so, that is the ultimate populist message. They are coming for all of you. They really, their hatred of me is their hatred of you, the common people. I am the only thing standing between them and you. I'm the only thing standing between you and rioters who want to burn down your city. I'm the only thing standing between you and a DOJ and FBI that wants to investigate you for terrorism if you protest at a school board meeting. I am the only one standing between, uh, you know, SWAT teams raiding a pro-life pastor's home on some bogus charges that a judge threw out several years ago just so they can score political points. I am the only one standing between you and tyranny. That is really powerful. And I think that's, that's an unbeatable message. You know, everybody else, Vivek Ramaswamy can talk about how bad ESG is. Nikki Haley can talk about how uh, she, you know, grew up as a brown girl in a white America or whatever she said in her announcement speech, you know, whatever, whatever. But Trump has that winning message. And I, again, we, of course, Tom and I agree. And Jacob agrees as well. It has to be Trump. Trump is the best possible candidate for this election. And I, I, that's why I'm approaching this election. Whatever happens, win or lose, I'm approaching it with the attitude of one last time, boys. You oh, know? yeah. It's Trump or die. That's exactly the right attitude. I Maybe we could get DeSantis in. Maybe, you know, because they'll let him in. 
that's just it. It's not going to be this whole orchestrated like they're not going to create a a global pandemic to keep him to keep Ron DeSantis, mm -hmm. an Ivy League lawyer who I think is gay. They're <laughs> not going to do that to keep him from getting in the White House. We could probably get DeSantis in and things might even get a little bit better. But we need a transformational president right now. We need a reverse Obama card right now and only one guy is promising that. I mean DeSantis isn't even promising that. Nobody Vivek isn't promising that. And as a principled guy, I'd rather go down fighting. I'm going down with the ship here. And if that means that uh, we put Trump up and we all know that uh, uh, morally and ethically it's the only correct decision and then they steal it and they lose, then, well, I think all Jesus wanted was for us to try. <laughs> we at least gave it our all. We gave it one last shot. And again, he wins. It's his last term. It's his second term. We enjoy it. And then whatever happens, happens. If he loses... He gave it. Well, I mean, all. he does have to do work. He, if he wins, oh, yeah. at day one, he has got to check because you know we're at will. the point. Oh yeah, that's just it. And but we'll be there holding his feet to the fire. Is I guess my point because I'm not going to be a, a Bill Mitchell where now Bill has totally <laughs> lost his mind going Oof. going on the DeSantis wagon. But you know, Bill Mitchell would defend anything Trump did up until that happened. Up until whatever mysterious thing happened mm. to make Bill Mitchell switch sides. Uh, but I mean, he would defend. I mean, and, and that's not who I was. I don't think that's who you were, Eric, during the Trump years. So I hope that the audience, if there's anybody out there on the side uh, or uh, uh, still hasn't made a decision, I hope that you see this is coming from a guy who, like Tucker, had my dark moments with Trump. We all saw those text messages where Tucker is saying, mm -hmm. uh, can I cuss? Is that bad? Um, no, go for it, my man. Where Tucker is writing, I fucking hate this guy. He's evil. He's demonic. He drains us. I've had those moments with, with the 45th president. I may have them again, and I'll be honest with you, but uh, right now he's the only possible. He is a, a, he's not a Julius Caesar figure. He's a Cato the Elder figure who has all of the right solutions, and if he can just get in there, the republic can be saved. That's a beautiful historical comparison, my man. That is... As always, Tom, you have the best takes. That is why you we are here now. This was your fifth appearance, by the way, Tom. This was Tom Pappert's fifth appearance on The Right Take, guys. At this point, we should consider a third chair just for Tom. He is just that good. <laughs> he, he brings the hottest takes. Again, that's why we're glad that now Jacob is working with you at Valiant News, is able to write stories and cover things for you guys. That collaboration going because it is important that we work together with those who really have their fingers on the pulse of the nation and have an idea for... Again, the macro and the micro, the littlest details that have the biggest implications for the biggest picture possible. Before we go here, Tom, you want to go ahead and plug uh, everything everywhere where people can follow you, your website, social media. How can people follow the great work that you and Valiant do? Absolutely. So as we speak, I'm like, I, I'm almost because without the shadow banning, I almost care about Twitter again. So I'm almost like <laughs> a real Twitter person. I'm almost about to break 10,000 people. So that's very exciting. So make sure to go follow me at real Tom Pappert. By the time you listen to this, I may have, I may have passed this special number. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I'm also everywhere else. You can find me, just search my name. Uh, the number one thing I'd also like you to do is go to valiantnews.com. We do great work there. Uh, really phenomenal people involved. As Eric said, Jacob has done some really, 
really good writing for us. He is a phenomenal writer. Uh, I just hope we can get more of his time. Uh, we've got some great other great people, Jack Hadfield, Preston mm -hmm. Para, uh, and we're doing really good work. So thank you so much, Eric, for having me on Valiant News. Valiant News, yes, valiantnews.com, Twitter at RealTomPapper. Follow him everywhere. He, he does great work. That's why we love having him back on the show, and that's why you guys like having Tom on the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always, to this episode of The Right Take. You can follow us for all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The full list of social media websites and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as always, if ever you guys are feeling oh so generous and want to continue supporting us and all the work we do here at The Right Take to bring guests like Tom on the show and other things we do here for you on the show every week, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.